It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may all be seated. Good to be here with y'all this morning. Just a few announcements before we get started this morning. I'll praise God for your faithfulness and being able to complete that dormitory for uh, them over uh, in uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, Grateful for that. Grateful for what the Lord's going to do and how he's going to use that dormitory and their uh, ministry to reach uh, lost people uh, in a very, very dark country. So thank you for your faithfulness in that. Just a few announcements. Uh, There is no Wednesday evening service this uh, Wednesday because of spring break. Uh, So mark your calendars. Again, no Wednesday evening services. Uh, The following Wednesday will be our business meeting, so please uh, come to that. And then uh, two other quick announcements. Good Friday service is just a few weeks away, April the 15th at 6.30. So good Friday service April 15th at 6.30. I'll be on a plane, hopefully getting back on time to get in my car to be here uh, right on time for that. If Delta does what Delta does, I could be late, so you'll just have to uh, bear with that. So pray I get home on time for that Good Friday service. And then the following day is our Easter festival. That's the 16th at 12 uh, to 3 o'clock. So Good Friday service on the 15th at 6.30, our Easter festival on the 16th, 12 to 3. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into God's holy word uh, this morning. Let's pray together. God, you are so faithful and kind to us. So I pray that this morning, through the work of the Holy Spirit, you'd open our minds, our hearts, our souls, our ears, to hear, see, and understand, and receive uh, your divine word. And it is a gift that you've given to us to know you more deeply, to serve you with all of our hearts, souls, and minds. So I pray that this morning, through that work, uh, that you would uh, do what you do and what only you can do, and that um, bring us more and more into your likeness. And I pray, God, for our faithfulness and our obedience back to that. So lead us this morning, guide us as we dive into your holy word. I pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, amen. We will continue our series. We've been talking about this idea of recovering redemption, the redemptive work of what God is going to do and what he is doing in our life. And so um, we talked about that last week. That sermon is not on uh, the website. If you weren't here and you want that, come find me, find Jared. We'll give you access to that. It was a very sensitive uh, sermon, so we did not want to post that um, for uh, other people to hear. Um, and to see. But if you were not here and you want that uh, sermon, come find me or find Jerry after the service. We'll give you access to that. This morning, my hope, my desire is to talk about uh, this one word. It's called perseverance. 
How is it that we come to know Christ at whatever age we did, and then how do we persevere to the end of our lives? Some theologians call it the perseverance of the saints. The perseverance of the saints, I know that's a heady word or heady phrase, a theological phrase, but it's important for us to know and to understand. So how is it that we are called by God, and then do we persevere through this life with God? The definition of the perseverance of the saints is this. Once a person is truly born of God or reborn or is regenerated by the indwelling Holy Spirit that you have in you at the moment of regeneration, we will continue to do the good works that God has called us to do to the end of our life. So how do we persevere through this very trying time? So many of us, if you're like me, there's been moments in my Christian journey that have been hard. Am I the only one? And there's moments in that journey with the Lord, I, I want to give up. Like it, it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem like it's going to work. It doesn't seem like it's, does it, does, it, does it even matter at some point? And yet as I read through the scriptures, I see throughout scripture, God is calling us to persevere to the end. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep moving forward. And so I want to look at that this morning. It's what Jared read to us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 21. I want to read that to us again. Because I want to talk about how do we persevere? How do we make it to the end of our life? And how is it at the end of our life will the Lord say what he will say? Well done what? My good and faithful servant. That's the perseverance of the believer. That when we meet Jesus face to face in his kingdom and at his throne, he would look at all of us and say, well done. Is that not what you want? That's what I want. Desperately. I want the Lord Jesus to look at me and say, well done. I mean, we want that here on earth, do we not? If you have a kid, a child, you know they come to you and that, that's Primarily what they want to hear often, hey, look what I did. And they want to hear, hey, good job. You all, we all want attaboys, do we not? And that's what we're looking for from our Lord Jesus, that he would look at us and say, attaboy. I'm so, what, proud of you. How do we do that? Let me read that passage that Jared read to us again. And I'm going to come back to what I taught us several weeks ago for just a moment as I move in to that perseverance part. It says this, look carefully, then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. So what Paul was saying in Ephesians is part of perseverance is understanding how we walk in this wild world. Are we walking as wise men and women? Are we walking as unwise men and women? Because Paul says, walk as wise men and women. If you want to persevere to the end, you must work wisely. He says this, making the best use of the time, because these days are evil. Another way that Paul says this is this, make the best use of your time. Are you and I, and are we as a church, being wise with every moment that God has given to us? He tells us in Psalms to count our days. I have a pastor friend, I think it's a little morbid, I'm not going to do it, but he's got this jar on his desk full of coffee beans. And every day, 
At the beginning of his day, he takes one coffee bean out of the massive jar and puts it into another to count his days. To be reminded and remind himself, how am I going to live today? Because I'm not promised tomorrow, and will I live wisely today? Because I want to walk and step in harmony with God. He says, are we making the best use of our time? I would ask you that. I'd ask me that. Let's ask the church. Church, are we using and are we walking wisely in making the best use of our time? Because we know the days are evil. Here's what he says. Here's the linchpin of how do we persevere to the end. He says in verse 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand the will of of the Lord, or what the will of the Lord is. Remember what he says in Thessalonians. What is the will of God? If he's telling us, Paul is saying, walk wisely, understand the will of the Lord. Remember what we said a few weeks ago. What is the will of the Lord? It's our sanctification. So the way we persevere to the end of our lives is directly correlated to how we walk with him through our sanctification. Sanctification is the ongoing process of becoming like Jesus. So our perseverance is linked to our sanctification. Are we in step with the Lord on a daily basis? Meaning, do you have an intimate relationship with him? Not because some moment in your life you walked an aisle in prayer to prayer. But that's all you have in your Walk with Jesus, I would say that's not walking with Jesus. That means you walked with Jesus, but you're no longer walking with Jesus. In our sanctification or our progressing to the end, or our perseverance has to do with your daily walk with Jesus. Are we making the best use of our time and how we walk daily with Jesus? Remember what I said a few weeks ago. Sanctification is the only part of our salvation that we participate with God in. Like I get to have an active participation with God to become more holy. I cannot become more holy just by sitting on a couch and praying a prayer. I've got to do something with the prayer that I prayed. That's what you'll see throughout scripture that Paul will say over and over again. You must walk with God to persevere, to sanctify your life, to be in harmony with God. And so I ask us this morning, are we walking daily with God as we persevere. The way to sanctification, if you remember a few weeks ago, was what John Owen says, we must mortify sin. That's the mortification of sin. We also must put things in our life that bring life to us. What is life giving to you? As you put sin to death, as Paul says over and over again, put these things aside and put these things on. So are you putting things aside as you're bringing things in your life and in my life that stir our affections or our love for the Lord? College basketball during March season is not going to do that for you. It's going to be entertaining. It's going to be fun to watch. But it's not going to stir your affections to become more and more like Christ. Remember what John Owen said in his book, Mortification of Sin. He says this. Be killing sin, or what? It will be killing you. There's no neutral in God's economy when it comes to sin. 
You're either going forward or you're in reverse. So are we killing the sin in our life or is the sin in our life killing us? Remember again in Matthew chapter 12 the way Jesus said it. He says this about killing sin. Are we really putting sin to death? Are we really having true confession and repentance with our sin life? He says this in Matthew 12, 43 through 45. He says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waters places seeking rest, but finds none. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about worldly confession there. Not repentance, but just worldly confession. He says if we just confess without doing anything about what we're confessing or repentance, that evil spirit that we're confessing is going to seek a place to rest. It finds none, but then it says this in 44, Jesus says, when it, the unclean spirit, says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. What Jesus is saying is, you've done the confession part, but you haven't really done the repentance part. Looks good on the outside, but there's no true, lasting change in your life. It says, it's found the house empty, swept, and put in order. Because it's done that, because there's been no true repentance, or what as we the world would say, there's been white knuckling not to go back to the sin without going to the source that will bring you true repentance. It goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And it returns and dwells there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. So Jesus is saying, if you're going to persevere to the end, you must live in honest confession and repentance through your sanctification. Are we doing that, church? Are we doing that? Here's how now the writer of Hebrews says to do that. Hebrews chapter 12 says this. He's reminding us of all those who have persevered before us. You read uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Chapter 11 is the hall of fame of the Bible. The writer of Hebrews lists all the heroes of our faith. And he's saying this as he's pointing us to chapter 12. He says, hey, look behind you and watch all the other ones that have persevered to the end and see all what they've done. And then he says this. He then transitions into chapter 12 and says it this way therefore since we have such are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses who are the witnesses those who have persevered and it's not that these men and women are watching us it's more so that we're watching them how did they live their life as they persevered to the end how did Moses make it to the end how Gideon make it to the end how Samson make it to the end and on and on I can go it's not that they're watching us, but it's that there are witnesses. There's, there's how we do what Paul and Jesus are telling us. This is how we persevere to the end. This is how we bring about sanctification. 
He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. When you look backwards, you see how the men and women of the Bible that persevered to the end made confession and repentance of their sin. Because every person in chapter 11 was a sinful man and sinful woman. And they lived lives of confession. You can see that over and over and over in each of their stories. And so what he is now telling us is we must lay aside those weights and sins which clings so closely to us. So I'd ask you this morning, are there any sins that cling to you? Is there any weight that's holding you down? Because then he says, the writer says, we must get rid of those things and then what? Run with endurance the race that is set before us. I wonder how many of us, myself included, are running with shackles on are running with weights on. No wonder we're getting so worn out and so tired. You ever tried to run with weights? It's exhausting. I I mean, this is just a true story. I've got a stationary bike, and there's parts of the stationary ride that they say pick up some weights, and I'm like, oh, good night. It's way easier to ride a bike without weight. And Okay, I'll be honest. It's not like the 20-pound weight. When I was buying the bike, it said, hey, do you want weights? I said, yes. You know what the highest amount of weights you could buy for that bike? Three pounds. That is shameful. Like three pounds, that's as high as we can go? But I promise, the first time I picked up those three-pound weights and started trying to ride the bike, I was exhausted within 30 seconds. I thought, man, I I better be able to do more than three pounds. But I promise within 20 seconds of trying to pedal and do this number with three pound weights, I'm like, this is exhausting. And I wonder for me how often I do that in my Christian life. I think to myself, oh, it's only a three pound weight of sin. It's not that much. If I brought a three-pound weight up here, everyone would be like, that's not that big of a deal. And I brought a 50-pound weight up here. But yet in our Christian life, we're like, we can handle that. And what the writer is saying, let us put aside all the weight that hinders us from running and running well. And I just wonder, church, Have we put down the 50-pound weights? Those big sins in our life? But yet we fool it around with the three-pound weights? And the writer's saying, let us lay it all aside because that will hinder us from persevering to the end. He goes on to say, there's this race that's been set before us. What's that race? The race is what? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We're wanting to become like him. 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What three-pound weights are you holding on to that are hindering you from becoming more like him? This is how Jesus says it another way. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Those treasures of your heart are those three-pound weights in your life that you are holding on to. He's saying, if that is true about you, that's where your heart is. Where is your heart this morning? Where is my heart this morning? As a body of believers, where is our heart this morning? What is hindering us? What is causing us not to become like Jesus? I love what C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Weight of Glory. He says this. It's so true for us. He says in C.S. Lewis's who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, but he wrote this book, The Weight of Glory, understanding who God is. He says, indeed, if we consider the the um, unblemishing promises of the reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised to us in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds that our desires are not too strong, but too weak. What, what, and I'll continue on what he says, because the rest of it is even more powerful than that. He, he's saying, what is in your heart? He's saying that, hey, your desires are great. They're just not big enough. They're just not capturing your affections enough. They're capturing them a little bit. But what C.S. Lewis says is, it's not that your desires are too strong. They're too weak. Because this is what he says. What does he mean that our desires, because you would think our desires are too strong. Because that's what's holding us down. But he says this in finishing. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around about with drink and sex and ambitions when infinite joy is offered to us. They're too weak is what he's saying. There's something greater than what's even capturing your heart. They're not enough. And that's why we keep going after those things. That's why Jesus says where your heart is, what you treasure there, your heart is. He's saying you're going after alcohol or sex or ambition when there's this greater thing that's offered to us. And yet we think we're going to find the greater thing in the worldly things. You see, our desires are not too strong, they're too weak. That's why we keep going after them. He says, when infinite joy is offered to us, we are like an ignorant child who wants to go go on making mud mud pies in the slum.